Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes this uh, Stuff You Should Know Express Edition. Monday morning edition. It's the Chili's to go edition. I think Monday mornings are my favorite time to record. Really? <laughs> are you kidding me? It's the worst of the worst. Oh, so you were lying. That was lying. I gotcha. Oh, wait. Before, yeah. before we get into this, can okay. we give a quick Kiva shout out? Uh, we totally should. Thanks to Glenn for emailing us to be like, hey, busy movie star guys, we, we need you to pay attention again. Glenn of the Glenn and Sonia's. Yes. Yes. Hey, guys. So, uh, Chuck. We have reached the $700,000 mark in loans. So great. From our Stuff You Should Know Kiva team, kiva.org slash team slash Stuff You Should Know. It's a, it's a micro lending organization mm-hmm. where you uh, loan in increments of 25 bucks to um, people who use it to basically keep their businesses going, start new business, buy inventory, whatever. Yep. And it's basically... Um, Global peace through capitalism. It's Neato Torpedo, and we support it. And not only that, not only did we hit the $700,000 mark, um, we just celebrated our second anniversary. We did it in like two years. That is nuts. So we're on track from Glenn as the, the uber math mm-hmm. genius of this, heading this up. Right. I think he says we're on track to hit our three quarters of a mil goal in like mid-November. Yeah. And our, the original goal was to hit it by the end of the year, so... Yeah, the juggernaut that is Team SYSK on Kiva rolls on. So congratulations that, right? to you guys. 800000 <laughs> No, buddy, a million bucks. I know, I can't That's, even wrap my mind around that. Do you remember how all this started? Yeah. That's a, simple, a simple podcast. Yeah. It takes so, a village. So way to go, everybody on our Kiva team. And we're not exclusive. Our Kiva team is very open and friendly. Again, if you want to go join, it's kiva.org slash team slash stuff you should know, right? All right, back to denial. Okay, so denial. Chuck. Yes. Have you ever heard of a an ancient man-eating crocodile named Gustav? Yeah, man. I watched a video on him. Did you? Mm-hmm. He is enormous and scary. He's pretty creepy looking. So for those of you who aren't in the know like Chuck, let me tell you a little bit about Gustav. He's, uh, what, 20 feet long, Chuck? Six meters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he weighs a ton. He does weigh a ton. Which is what? More than 2,000 pounds these days, isn't it? Uh, it's a ton. <laughs> uh, and he's uh, uh, about 60 years old, they think, which is pretty substantial because wild crocodiles, he's a now crocodile, mm-hmm. wild crocodiles live to about 45. Yeah, I think so he's closer he is, to 70 now, actually. Yeah, that's right, yeah. because he was about 60 in 2004. Yeah. So yeah, he's pushing 70, and yeah. he is very old, and he also has a real taste for humans. Yeah, I I think some I think a lot of that is true. I think there's a lot of legend built up too, though. Well, they, there's this guy, this hunter um, of him. Uh, his last name is Faye. What's his first name? Chuck Faye Ray. No, his his first name is um, Patrice Faye. Yeah, he was the documentary that I watched. Right when so he tried to catch him, he seems to be something of a controversial figure, and uh, he's a bit of a Captain Ahab, and Gustav is his uh, Queequeg. Yes. At least, <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, the the point is, is I, I I would say I think about three hundred people are attributed to dying to Gustav. 
Yeah, and one some legend has it that he sometimes won't even eat you. He'll just kill you, which yeah. that makes me think, you know, that's probably not true. Right, he kills for sport or something. Yeah, exactly. So Gustav um, has been on the loose in Burundi for a long time, and he is a Nile crocodile, and he's in Burundi because the Nile actually flows partially through Burundi, that's which right. is the whole reason I brought up <laughs> Gustav in the first place. It's a great way to start. It was okay. You know much about the Nile? A little bit. I know a thing or two. Do you? Uh-huh. It you is to... just a river in Egypt. But it's not just in Egypt. So True. if you have a problem with the title, stop emailing because we know what we're talking about. It's in, uh, technically, if you want to know, it's in Uganda, Sudan, Egypt, uh, Zaire, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Ethiopia, and the aforementioned Burundi. Yes. And throughout all those countries, um, the Nile, it gets fairly wide. I think it's up to 10 kil- kilometers wide at its widest point. 10 clicks? Yes. I didn't um, see the width. That's good to know. But 10 kilometers, that's that's a substantial width for a river. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, it's over five miles wide. Wow. So, um, and which is kind of wide, but at the same time, f- for flowing through 10 countries, it's still fairly narrow compared to its length, yet about 370 million people depend on the Nile. To survive. And have for a long time, not that many people. A very long time. As yeah. a matter of fact, um, in Ethiopia, where one of the Nile's headwaters are, the, um, the, it's considered the cradle of the Kush people, which are, which is the, the black race, uh-huh. I guess. Um, and possibly the, um, human race. It's the cradle of the human race. I've heard that. But don't tell the Aryan Brotherhood because they will be <laughs> mad. Yeah. You get mad about everything. Yeah, they do. Humorless, um, Josh. So tell us some more about the Nile. So like, there's some amazing facts. It is a river. It is. But it's an amazing river. Yeah. And it's not even the longest river, is it? No, the Amazon generally is is quoted as a little bit longer by, I think they said the most recent expedition, uh, they found out and they used advanced mapping equipment. Right, which is <laughs> yeah. advanced. To find out uh, that the Nile's about 400, or, I'm sorry, 4,175 miles long. 6,719 kilometers. And the Amazon clocks it, and we're going to do an Amazon show, too, uh, at 4,225. Mm-hmm. So it's about 65 miles longer. Yeah. And that's, I think that the new Nile, as we'll call it, includes the new headwaters south of Lake Victoria. Is that what they determined? Because yeah. they used to say it was originated in Lake Victoria. Yeah. There, but now it's south a little bit, right? There was a guy, uh, that was controversial, um... When when the guy came up, there was a guy named uh, John Hanning Speck or Speak, and he was an English explorer who lived to 1864. And before his death, he went on an expedition to Africa and went off by himself. He got his co-expedition leader got injured, so he went off by himself. Like Gustav, and found I don't think it was Gustav's Gustav. father, <laughs> right? Um, and he found Lake Victoria and said, well, this has got to be the Nile. And Look at came this big back. lake. must be the right. headwaters. And there was this big public debate over whether it was real or not. And um, between the guy who was injured and not on the expedition and Speak. Mm-hmm. And so finally Speak was like, fine, you know what? Let's go back. So we went back and they found the place where the Nile exits Lake Victoria. So Lake Victoria has traditionally been the source of the Nile, but they found that actually, no, there's some headwaters somewhere in some forest in Rwanda. Yeah. And you say that it's south of Lake Victoria, which is crazy, Chuck, because that means that the (laughs) Nile flows south to north. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I thought that was so strange because I thought south meant lower. And it's just not the case. In Africa, the low land, or I'm sorry, the high land is Mm -hmm. south. Right. And so it just flows toward the equator. With gravity, like it should. Yeah. Toward the equator. 
Never had a cavity. Not just not one. <laughs> so um yeah, the the that is kind of big news though that the the headwaters, the source of the Nile, um it has changed that it's I like how it's somewhere deep in a forest in Rwanda. That's pretty cool. It's fairly mysterious. It is. So it still has a mysterious origin. It's always had this kind of um mysterious dark Africa vibe to it the Nile has. Sure. So, Josh, let's talk about the tributaries. If you're going to talk about the Nile, you got to talk about the fact that there's the White Nile and yep. there's the Blue Nile. Uh, the White is the, the the newest source south of Lake Victoria is is the White Nile, uh, easiest to navigate. It's the longer section, but actually has less water. Yeah, feeds less water. So we're going to talk about how the Nile like raises and lowers in a little bit, but it's the White Nile that's responsible for that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's lightish gray in color for the sediment, which is why they call it the White Nile. Mm-hmm. The Blue Nile is very sparkly blue, right? In its origins in the Ethiopian mountains, and uh, provides about two thirds of the water to the river, and it, then it turns darker as it goes. Like the, in, in the, the Sudan, things get dark. The Blue Nile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the there's also another tributary. The, that's the two largest tributaries, the Blue Nile and the White Nile. Mm-hmm. I also found out that after the Nile exits a lake, like it comes out of Lake Victoria, that's called the Victoria Nile. Then it gets to Lake Albert, oh, yeah? Victoria's lover boy. Sure. And then after it exits that, it's the Albert Nile. So the, it's named kind of based on where it is in any given part in time. Gotcha. But the other, the, the third major tributary, the Atbara River, um, which comes out of the eastern portion of Sudan, is actually, um, they think it's the original source of the Nile. Oh, really? About 30, the Nile's about 30 million years old from the tertiary period. Wow. But they think that that was the original source, and other rivers started coming out and joining together, and now it forms the huge, massive Nile. Well, it goes through a lot of twists and turns on the way, and we'll talk about a couple of those, but let's go ahead and just tell you the ending now. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it splits again in Egypt into the uh, Damietta, which is on the east side, mm-hmm. or is that on the west? Damietta is on the west, the east, the west. Damietta is on the east, Rosetta is <laughs> on the west. I had it right to begin with. I had it right at one of those times. <laughs> and that, uh, and then, you know, it splits into two main things, but it's really a fan of many, many little fingers that all spill out into the Mediterranean Sea. Right. But did you notice what those two things were called, the Damietta and the Rosetta? They were called distributaries, right? You have tributaries coming in, distributaries. I was like, distribute? Yeah. <laughs> that's where the word distribute comes from. Crazy. That's, that was, the, the, what's sad is I was like, wow, there's the fact of the podcast. Really? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I like all the, the, the canal stuff. Do you? That, yeah, well, I mean, it's not the fact, but I just thought that was the coolest stuff. Yeah. How they made it work for them. Yeah. So as the Nile's flowing from south to north, it's pretty, it's pretty, I mean, it's wide, it flows, but I mean, like, it's not, you're not going to get thrown out of a kayak on it until you get to Aswan, right? Once you get to Aswan, there's six cataracts after that between Aswan and the Nile Delta. And these cataracts are basically rapids. Yeah, and I wonder how the harsh. Nile like really, really unnavigable. Uh, You're really? on a boat. Like, okay, you got to get out and put your boat on a trailer and drive around and uh, then get back in. What do you call that? Unnavigable. Nah, there's, a, there's a word for that when you have to to pull your canoe out and do some walking. Uh, besides, sucks. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> bummer. I think is what it's. Called. I'm just Monday morning, Friday afternoon. I would have that word at my ready. I'm sure that um. People have hit these rapids before, but I mean, you're talking not just, this isn't, you know, like a, a, a normal river or creek 
this is the Nile hitting rapids. Right. So sure. there's six of those, and then you get to um, the delta, and it calms down again. Um, it's the longest kiss in history. That's what they call it, the Arab poets. Isn't that nice? That is nice. Like when they meet, they, that's the kiss. Huh. At, in, at Khartoum? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very nice. I thought that was very poetic, which is, I guess, why poets wrote it. Right? <laughs> okay. So... Um, you want to hear a little more, a few more stats? I actually uh, have a sure. couple stats. Let's hear it. Just a couple more things. If you live on the Nile and you're a member of a certain ethnic group, uh, a few ethnic groups, mm-hmm. uh, especially in Sudan, you're described as Nilotic. I like, like that. Like Caucasian. Sure. Uh, you're Nilotic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to measure the amount of water that passes down the Nile every day at its peak. Okay. You would come up with seventy nine billion two hundred and fifty one million six hundred and fifteen thousand three hundred and seventy two US gallons, which is three hundred million cubic meters of water every day. Wow. And if you wanted to get to the root of the name of the Nile, Nelios uh-huh. is Greek for are you ready for this? Big this river. River Valley. Uh that's a little disappointing. It was a little disappointing. <laughs> I thought so too. Sometimes it just makes too much sense. So um, there's a certain culture of people that grew up along the Nile. We mentioned the Kush people from Ethiopia. Yeah. Um, but they, they get a lot less press than their neighbors to the, to the west, the ancient Egyptians. Yes, this is after the Great Bend, nor- <laughs> north of the Great Bend. We left out the Great Bend. Well, the Great Bend is interesting because it, it literally runs east to west for a little while, then bends back and runs the other way. Yeah, it's going just due north, and then it cuts. It's pretty it's west. a switchback, you would call that if you were a hiker. Yeah, and they, they found out finally, like, this is perplexed people who've um, navigated the river and mapped it, and they're like, what the, what is this? Yeah. It's not supposed <laughs> to do this because it actually does it in one of the driest points of Earth, on Earth. Um the whole area around it is dry, too. That's worth pointing out is it's in the middle of some serious, serious sand. Well, it depends on what part you're at. It goes through a lot of different climates. Well, that's true. That's true. But when it hits the, the Great Bend, area. it's like in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Yeah. And it should just keep going north, but it didn't. So they, they found in, I think, 1994 through um through satellite photos, they found that there's this ancient riverbed that it did used to go straight. Something happened. They, they estimate between 10,000 and 1 million years ago, <laughs> something happened. Yeah. Uh, and now it takes this bend. No one knows what happened. Oh, they don't the have Nile. any theory on that. It just ain't the same since then, though. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if it was superstitious in nature. If, like, some person stood and said, halt to the Nile, and it went around him. I don't think so. I think it was the <laughs> other way around. I think the Nile just was kind of like, Did its thing? we're your boss. So I mentioned that a lot of the northern part, especially in in Egypt, is in the middle of serious sand. And that sand is what protected the Nile and the Nile River Basin and the people there. Because it was, you know, you couldn't just, like, walk over there and attack them. You were lucky to to make it through the desert to get to the Nile. So it served as a natural protection plan. That's I didn't realize that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. So you you know about ancient Egypt, of course. There were several kingdoms, mm-hmm. each of which collapsed. Yeah. Um, Very advanced peoples, though. They were. One of the cool things, we, we talked about the Nile rising and falling every year. Um, it, the, the Blue Nile is steady, slow and steady, coming out of the Ethiopian highlands. 
Um, and it's the white now coming out of Rwanda and through Lake Victoria um, and through Sudan uh, that that is subject to fluctuations because there's heavy rainfall in Rwanda. Uh, there's also, I saw heavy rain in the Ethiopian highlands too, though. There is, but for some reason the Nile stays yeah. steady. The Blue Nile coming out of Ethiopia stays steady. And uh, snow melting too is another big reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think what it is is maybe snow it in rains, Africa. It rains on one <laughs> during one part of the year, and then the snow melt happens in another. Yeah, and it equals basically just an equal volume coming out. Okay. So in uh, on the White Nile, it's subject to wild fluctuation, and um, it, it drops down. It, it raises up to twenty feet at its highest point. That is the secret. And the ancient Egyptians. Um, were pretty smart about capturing this stuff. They could capture the water in canals and basins, so much so that they would have all the water they needed for next year's crops. All Let me say that again. They could capture all the water they needed for next year's crops through the Nile. <laughs> That's right. Uh, specifically, Josh, the river is at its lowest in May. Mm-hmm. It's at its highest in September. So between May and September, uh, there's something called the rise, which is the uh, inundation. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fall, which is the relinquishment. Happens around October is when it starts to fall. And during that, that time where it rises so much, like you said, they would capture this water. It would flood the, the, the sand there. And when it receded, it would leave this mud, this mm-hmm. awesome, rich, fertile silt. Yep. They would dry that out for about a week, and then they would start a plant. That's why the um, the Nile Delta is so lush. It's that annual, you know, bringing of the silt. That's uh, dude. This that changed the history of the world. It did, and definitely Africa. And apparently, the silt is uh, between fifty and hundred feet deep, and it's just this black, rich, nutrient rich soil that you could Texas grow tea. rocks in. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's oil. Yeah, sorry, but still, I know what you meant. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, like you said, it changed the history of the world. And um, it, it was problematic. As, it was a gift as, as well as a curse because it would not only um, bring the silt, sometimes it would bring way too much water. Yeah, sure. Uh, it would ruin It would come at the wrong time and they couldn't harvest fast enough. Yeah, what the uh, Nile giveth it taketh away. Right, exactly. So to prevent the flooding and to allow for more settlement because, you know, you need to pack people in there. As a matter of fact, the Nile is one of the most densely populated areas on Earth, right? Yeah, there's a stat here somewhere. I think it's like 3,280 people per square mile. Yeah, which is, um, yes. That's that's dense, my friend. It is very dense. And it was always that dense. Or not that dense, but it's always been very dense with people because that was the life, the lifeblood. Right. As they say. So when you have a bunch of people, um, you need to settle them where you can, and you can't just let the Nile flood everybody every year and then rebuild. Yeah. So what they did is they started building a system of dams, and uh, they started controlling the Nile a little more so they can keep the flooding in check. Yeah. They've got plenty of water for irrigation, but they're losing out on the sediment. Yeah, it reduced the fertility some, so they started using fertilizer. They kind of rolled with the, the punches over the years, from what I gathered. As far as, you know, building the dams, and they realized that saved the land from being flooded too much, but it also, they said, well, we've got to start using fertilizer now. They did. It was part of the Green Revolution, I think. So it's kind of like, yeah, we've got all this fertilizer, but now we're 
screwing up the land two different ways. It's basically it's just another example of humans. Controlling nature and shooting themselves in the foot, you know? Yeah, but the, the good thing, the good news is, though, that through their control and through this silt and the flooding, it allowed for a lot of kind of crops that you wouldn't think you would be able to grow out there, mm-hmm. like wheat and barley. Right. Um, I think these days, what do they grow? Uh, cotton even? Sorghum? Well, Egyptian cotton. Yeah, the best. Uh, yeah, it's very, very solid. What, what kind of thread count you go with these days? Oh, the higher the better. You know what I've just recently learned is the higher actually means heavier, too. So if you go out and get like a 1,000 thread count sheet, yeah. you might not be getting what you're looking for because it, it might feel more like a blanket. Right. It depends on what what thread, what type of fabric they're using. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's all in the weave. It is. And also you have to look out for, you You definitely get what you pay for. If you find like 600 thread count sheets for like 20 bucks. On the internet, yeah. The reason why, um, it is 600 thread count, but they're counting each of the three strands of thread. So with, rather than a single thread uh-huh. counting, you know, 600 times, it's one thread divided by, into the three strands that make up that single thread. So it's really, so it's really 200. 200 thread count. Cause I've seen those on the internet, you know, 600 thread count for right. 1995. Right. And then you like pull it up over you and you get like a, a rash. You might as well sleep in a potato sack or something. You get the Nile rash. Yeah. So, um, Chuck, we talked about dams. I, I did a little extra research. It turns out that the Nile connects nine countries and it connects them geopolitically as well as just geologically, geographically. Yes. Um, and I, apparently Egypt and Sudan like to make agreements over water use for the Nile. And this has been going on for a really long time. It used to be Egypt and Ethiopia. Yeah. And Egypt would occasionally um, accuse Ethiopia of, you know, controlling the Nile and keeping the water to themselves. Sure. Which they had no, no way of doing. Right. And then every once in a while, Ethiopia would threaten to do that. And Egypt would be like, okay, all right, all right, let's we're, talk this we're out. We're going to keep all the water. Right. Um, so... Uh, then it, it changed between Egypt and Sudan, and that's, those are still two of the biggest players now. So Egypt has a really long history of blocking projects that would kind of equitably distribute the Nile waters. Yeah. And you remember in, in 1984, 85, Ethiopia had this horrible famine. Um, uh-huh. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Um, it, but the Nile was just fine. It, they just hadn't figured out or they weren't using it to irrigate properly. And the world didn't really uh, care that much at first. It took a little while to really. I remember it being a big deal. It took a it took a while. It was a big deal before I found out about it. In other words, yes. Okay, exactly. Uh, I have a little fact of the show for me is to measure the uh, the re- the recession and the rising of the river. Mm-hmm. They used a staircase. They built a staircase down into the river, and literally just marked it. It was called a, a nilometer, mm-hmm. and they just marked what stair it was on from time to time. Pretty basic. That is basic, but because cool. you can't have a big pole, you know, you can't stick a big pole down. How there. old are those stairs? Oh, I don't know if they're. I don't think they're still around. Oh, really? Oh, that was ancient Egypt. Oh yeah, yeah. the old kingdom. Now they just measure it with advanced equipment. <laughs> Sonar, right? Advanced mapping equipment. <laughs> advanced mapping equipment. <laughs> so what else? Do you want to talk some more about some animals? Uh, sure. The the Nile is is well known to house crocodiles. Uh, the Nile crocodile is a fish eater for the most part. I or didn't know that. Goats or chickens and whatever happens to be lurking nearby. Yeah, goats I did know. Yeah. Fish I didn't think of. But they do attack humans. They say roughly 200 human deaths per year thanks mm-hmm. to the crocodile. 
And Gustav that we mentioned earlier is, he's large for a Nile crocodile, but it's not like he's some freak of nature. I mean, there are t- plenty of crocodiles that get to be 20 feet in length. Well, the saltwater crocodiles tend to yeah. grow larger. So he's just big for the area, which yeah. and he's old as the hills. So uh, that that gave him the, the spooky legend. He's as old as a 70-year-old hill. <laughs> yeah, 67-year-old Made old by old. some neighborhood kids. Uh, and then hippopotamus. They don't. Uh, the hippopotamus doesn't live in the Nile anymore. And I didn't find why they're not native. No, to they the don't area. live in Egypt. Oh, they live for the south. They live on the Nile, but they yeah they hang okay. around Sudan more now. Egypt gets all the press. But they used to be around Egypt. I'm not sure exactly why they left. Well, probably because the crocodiles. Yeah, although those crocodiles, crocodiles are and, everywhere. Yeah, but they would eat hippos, even though they're not supposed to. And the hippos were pretty fearsome. In their own right. Yeah, they um, like to mess up crops, run over people. I mean, we think of them as very lovable, hungry, hungry hippos. Sure. Um, but, yeah, you don't really want to get too close to them because, well, it's like an elephant. An elephant's not going to, like, necessarily mean to kill you. If it means to kill you, you're dead. Sure. But it can still kill you just by you being in its way. Right. So you just don't, you don't want to get too close to the hippopotami, okay? What about insects, Josh? Who cares? <laughs> The CDC, uh, apparently they've gotten the um, the malaria pretty well in check there, so you don't even have to get vaccinated any longer Yeah, if you travel to that area. If you're going to the city, if you're, in, if you're on an, an expedition on the Nile, you're probably going to need to I go ahead it. and get the malaria. Even if they didn't recommend it, I would get it. Yeah. Uh, but they do uh, recommend that, you know, if you're traveling there to take the standard anti-diarrhea stuff, iodine tablets, water purification, all, all the good stuff that you're going to need yeah. to stay alive. Yeah. And to keep from pooping your skeleton out, like that guy said. <laughs> you said that? One of the listeners, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, what else, Josh? The Nile today, still booming. And you know that the, the, still way, <laughs> the way they farm there today is still really similar to the way they did it back in the day. Yeah. Like I saw a video of, from last week of you know the oxen pulling the stuff right on the banks of the Nile. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Um, the The... Arab Spring that led to the revolt in Egypt. Um, you know, Egypt and Sudan are the two big players with water now. Yeah. Um, to get around that, a bunch of other countries, some of the smaller countries, started the Nile Basin Initiative, which is basically like trying to figure out how to do it on their own without depending on Egypt. Right, right. And Egypt kept going around and blocking their projects. Really? Yeah, however they could, because you need money for it. These yeah. Are, these are countries that, you know, have... Just enough infrastructure to keep their people going. Sure. So a new project that's going to really right. develop the country, they need some money for it. So Egypt would go to the World Bank and be like, you don't, you don't want to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> now, that, now that there's like a leadership vacuum in Egypt, people are hopeful and worried because Egypt still has, you know, commitments to water agreements, and um, it's kind of up in the air at this point, like how it's going to go. Are they going to get stingier? Are they going to get, you know, right. better? Who knows. Interesting. I got one more stat for you. What? You talked about how densely populated it is. Yeah. Despite the fact that the Nile River Basin only makes up 5% of Egypt's landmass, 95% of the population lives along the Nile. Uh-huh. And that's Crazy. just in Egypt. It's nuts. It is. But necessary. Yeah. And the uh, Nile River Delta itself, not just the Nile, but the Delta is so significant that the ancient Egyptians worshipped the Delta as a god, the oh, god really? Hapi, Hapi, H-A-P-I. Uh-huh. It was represented by a frog. Really? 
Yep. Hoppy the Delta Frog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and despite the fact that they do grow things like uh, cotton and wheat and sugar cane there and citrus fruits, it's still a lot of poor people doing the farming. It hasn't led to like this abundance of riches as farmers. No. It's pretty sad. I don't know what the problem is either. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, are they exporting tons of this stuff, or is it mainly for their use, I wonder? I don't know. Jerry's laughing at us. <laughs> They're also getting into hydroelectric power, which that could change things. Well, the Aswan Dam. Yeah. I think it's been producing power for a while. It opened in 1970. Well, they're getting more and more into it these days, too, like more hydroelectric power, more yeah. dams. It's huge. So it's like 364 feet tall above the river. What? And it's 12,000 feet wide. Wow. That's an enormous dam. That is big. It took 11 years to build. Really? Yeah. How does that compare to the Hoover Dam and gen- generation of power, I wonder? I keep asking for stats we don't have. I hate Monday morning. <laughs> got anything else no i wish i did but i don't that's pretty amazing yeah and this one we're going to chalk up to if you want to know the entire world we gotta we have to explain the nile eventually so that's what we did we're gonna kill the amazon river not literally not literally kill it nobody can we're gonna shut it off (laughs) got anything else no i should be asking you that chuck you got anything else i don't Okay, well, if you want to learn more about the Nile, you can type in Nile, N-I-L-E, in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for listener mail. Josh, you know that we read our email uh, emails occasionally from our younger listeners? Yes, I do. we like cute kids, and we like them learning stuff, and we like to be uh, role models as far as our show goes. <laughs> These kids. That's a good good caveat. Uh, this comes from a listener from Wisconsin. I'm sorry, Minnesota. Okay. You can't say it like that. Though. I am Eli of uh, Lindstrom, Minnesota. It's a small <laughs> town located on the nose of Wisconsin. Okay. Which is why I said that. I'm 14 years old and have been listening to your podcast for about six months. I really like it a lot. It is straight to the point, yet it isn't so facty. You got that right. <laughs> Unlike Radiolab. But I really enjoy your sense of personality you add. You guys don't sound like robots. I was uh, having an anger attack when I heard the Underground Railroad podcast. That lady wouldn't know real genius if it hit her in the eardrums. <laughs> Harsh words. Wow. Uh, your topics include a variety of pop culture, science, psychology, and some downright obscure ones. I listen to you on the lawnmower along with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and How to Do Everything. I haven't heard of that one. It sounds suspiciously like our own. <laughs> Like Catholic stuff you should know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the people who turned me on to your podcast is my scoutmaster, Dana. He and I have a very uh, have very heated arguments and discussions about certain topics on our way to and from Boy Scout camp. Me, being the senior patrol leader, uh, need to have a certain connection with the scoutmaster in order for things to run smoothly. <laughs> I appreciate what you guys are doing for me, and I hope that you write back. I would get all warm and fuzzy if you went as far as to read this on the air. And Dana would not believe it. I hope you have a wonderful fall. Sincerely, Eli from Minnesota. Thanks a lot, Eli. And, and Dana, take that. Yeah, I think Eli just won up to you, Dana. Yep, so you owe him a, a s'more. Cover for that from that. Yeah, I just had s'mores the other day. You mean I are into s'mores right now? You build a fire? <laughs> How do you do it? Uh, in the oven. <sighs> hey, dude, I don't have. <laughs> I don't have like a backyard to have a fire in and set it on fire. Oh, you got set a little the yard. city on fire. Yeah. 
Okay, well, if you have a good s'more story, or how about this? If you have a good autumn treat recipe, we're in the we're in the market. Uh, we want it. Okay, a good pumpkin pie, perhaps. Uh, something like that. Something that I haven't heard of. Good, um, good autumn cocktail recipe is always appreciated as well. I had a nice autumn beer the other night. The Dogfish Head Pumpkin. Yeah, you've been talking about that ever since too. I just had it two nights ago. So what are you talking about? No, you didn't, because this is like the third time you've mentioned Dude, it. Dude, I had it two nights ago. Oh, whatever. You're, you're thinking of your other friend Chuck. No, I think. Well, then Chad had one. Okay. Okay, so uh, if you have a good uh, recipe of some sort for an autumn treat, we want to hear it. You can tweet it to us, but it better be short. That's SYSK Podcast is our Twitter, Twitter handle. Uh, on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And, and you can totally uh, email us. Totally. At stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?